What's up, everybody? This is FTW with Ahmad Khan. I'm your host, Ahmad Khan, and joining me today on this AOC is Sus edition is regular contributor to the Washington Post, Noah Smith. Hey, Ahmad. Thanks for having me on. And vice president of VoteMap, Joe Deshotel, will also be joining us. Hey, Ahmad. Thanks for having me on. Last week, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez put out a call on Twitter to get out the vote by streaming Among Us on Twitch. Immediately, Twitch's top stars like Iman Pokimane Anis and Benjamin Dr. Lupo Lupo responded to her request. The next day, she was joined by Representative Ilhan Omar in a stream that peaked at over 435,000 viewers, the third largest in Twitch history. But given that Anis, Lupo, and others were also streaming to their audiences, when combined, the total could make it the largest in Twitch history, beating out Ninja and Drake's Fortnite stream from a few years back. So let's start with Joe. This is the first time, at least from what I can recall, of Twitch being used by a politician in this way. As somebody who has worked with the Democratic Party down in Texas, why is the gamer vote worth pursuing? Primarily because if you look at the numbers, it's mostly skews younger and young people have traditionally not really shown up at the polls. But when they do, it tends to benefit the Democratic Party, uh, both on idealistic, you know, issue based concerns. And I, I think that that is what folks are going for here. And we're seeing youth turnout skyrocket during early voting across the country, really in record numbers. And it's basically the data is telling Democrats that if they get young people out to vote, that Joe Biden will win. Mm. And Noah, as somebody who reported on the stream for the Washington Post and also tuned in, you know, by your account, was the stream a success? I guess not just on the numbers side, but as an actual like entertainment piece of material that could push out the vote. Sure. So there's obviously different ways, like, as you alluded to, of assessing the success or not of the stream. I think that by any metric, uh, it should be perceived uh, as a success. Looking at just that stream alone uh, was the fourth most viewed stream of all time on Twitch. Uh, and then, like you said, if you include the other uh, concurrent streams, it may well have passed the, the Ninja Drake one. So certainly in terms of, you know, just getting people to watch, yes. I think also there's an important consideration here of looking at, at what this represents, what it means as sort of like a bellwether, you know, in terms of politicians uh, engaging younger voters on Twitch specifically, the gaming community uh, specifically. It's not the first time. Uh, former President Obama was the first uh, to engage in this way. He put uh, in-game uh, ads uh, as early as uh, 2008. So, you know, the, the voters being able to, younger voters and understanding that they are playing video games increasingly as their primary source of entertainment, um, you know, that, that's been something that's growing. But, the, you know, it always helps when there's some event like this that people can sort of point to. I make a, a parallel to maybe worlds, like League of Legends worlds, where you can have something that, like, okay, the community's growing, things are building, and then, boom, somebody sells out Staples Center. Somebody sells out Madison Square Garden. And that's something that helps people who are not part of the uh, endemic community to understand really what's what's gone on here. And so it, as far as those two things, absolutely a success. As far as what it was intended to do, which is to get people to the polls, we don't know yet. Um, there is good evidence to suggest that events like this do have a measurable impact in getting folks to register to vote, but actually getting them then to take that next step to vote there's there's scant evidence to show that that correlation, and in fact, there's some to suggest that it's actually less effective than um, than other things. Uh, for instance, the most effective way to get people to vote is by uh, appeals from their peers, from their friends, uh, is the one thing. And then the other thing is, as you will have noticed if you saw the stream, is because uh, AOC kept referring back to it, is making a plan to vote. So they find that when somebody actually make comes up with a plan. As opposed to saying, yeah, I'm going to go vote, you know, figure it out on the day when somebody actually says, OK, I'm going to drive there at 
8.30 a.m. with my two friends, they're far more likely to do it. So um, as I said, the first two things, metrics, and as far as like from a social standpoint, um, absolutely. Uh, as far as getting people to vote remains to be seen. Hey, Ahmad, Ahmad, do you mind let me jump in here real quick? Because I think he made, Noah made two really good points here. But I, I think we should take that to the next step about what this was all about in the first place. So absolutely, people making a plan to vote increases their likelihood of voting. The whole idea of this AOC stream was to promote IWillVote.com and what she was saying, and and you were talking about the sheer numbers and volume of people hearing hearing this, seeing this. Well, she was on, I literally, right before we started recording this, uh, was watching uh, State of the Union with uh, Jake Tapper, and she was on, and they actually talked about this, uh, her appearance on Twitch. And she said that this was the second, I think, largest ever, or maybe the largest ever driver of traffic to IWillVote.com for people to actually go and make a plan to register to vote. So I think in that sense, we're, it's about as close as we can get to seeing it working and driving people to the polls. Uh, the other thing is that you mentioned, Noah, was peer influence. And I'd, I'd say that, you know, AOC being really one of the youngest members of Congress ever is doing that. And she is a peer. This is why she's appeared on Twitch. And I do think it's going to probably have that effect other people seeing it and participating. And then. So it's important to make the distinction. While she's a peer age wise, she's a celebrity. And so they've done this, for instance, with Rock the Vote. There's, uh, I think, since 1990. So uh, two decades of, of research. And I, I forgot the exact. Uh, the exact studies, but spoke to um, a couple of professors who, I mean, this is their field. And so they show that the same age is not something that's significant. It's people in their lives. So even parents, for instance, if someone's parents try to influence them to, to vote, it doesn't work quite as effectively as just regular people in their own lives. And so while AOC is somebody who's really shown mastery of all of these social networks and, and coming in authentically, being able to use the right terminology, being able to you know do shout outs, I think is similar that, that her audience is the same as Donald Trump in the sense that while they have obviously very different communication techniques, Donald Trump comes off as authentic to his base. You know, he doesn't come off as a scripted politician. And so that's appealing for folks on the right. And then AOC is appealing for folks on the left. But um, at least the reporting that we did, it shows again that like somebody who is the same age but a celebrity, and and AOC is definitely seen as a celebrity, um, is less effective than than peers in somebody's life. So um, I mean, I'm glad that came up because it's an important distinction. Again, just based on the past, who knows what's going to happen now? I mean, everything is sort of unprecedented in in 2020. So uh, yeah, remains to be seen. Yeah, no, I want to get your thoughts on something really quick. So you did bring up this point of, you know, uh, AOC being a celebrity. And whenever there have been celebrities that do this kind of rock the vote efforts, like when Kim Kardashian um, urges people to vote and then it comes out that, oh, she didn't actually vote. I guess there's a lot of eye rolling that goes on. And, you know, to what extent do a bunch of movie stars and musicians can really influence, you know, the political spectrum? Um, But I think there's a difference with streamers, right? I mean, people view Kim Kardashian, for example, from a distance through a television screen, while people can more directly engage with Twitch streamers, you know, actually commenting on their Twitch chats and, you know, having this communication engagement. If a Twitch streamer like a Pokemon or a Dr. Lupo are urging people to go out and vote, it, I mean, do you feel that would be more effective than another celebrity? I do. Uh, and I, I think that's also a good point. And it's an important distinction that comes up with Twitch as compared to other social networks, number one, and just in terms of celebrity culture in general. So obviously your, your listeners will know that, you know, a distinguishing point looking at Twitch uh, and, and stars on Twitch compared to like a movie star or an NBA star is that is that feeling of accessibility. 
right? So you're watching the stream there. It's interactive. They can respond to comments. You're there. You're with them for a long time. Um, and so there is that, that sense of familiarity that does sort of, and we see it in esports all the time, right? Where there's this expectation that you're not just going to be able to go to the match and see it like going to the Lakers game and watching LeBron do his thing. But you then get to meet and talk and interact with those people just because of the grassroots nature of, of esports and because of video game community. So I do think that, that there is an increased sense of closeness there. Again, just based on the reporting that, that I've done for the past few years where the audiences there do do feel a greater connection. And so will that translate then to getting folks out to vote? Again, it, we don't know. If I had to guess, I, I do think I do think it could be more effective with that specific case in particular. And Joe, you know, as somebody who has worked in the Democratic Party down in Texas, I think the thing that uh, surprised me about the stream was the timing of it. I felt that it came on a little late. I mean, voting has already started. Voter registration for a lot of places has already ended. Uh, if you were, I guess, AOC's campaign manager, would you have pushed this stream to maybe before uh, early or voting deadlines? The voting deadline is November 3rd. It varies widely across the U.S. And so in Texas, yeah, it's like a month out because we don't want people to vote. So um, you have to be registered a month before. But I actually don't think it was a big mistake because early voting is well underway. And I think that we, you know, given what Noah's saying and the research, we need to hit people when the door is open that they can walk through, not a month before, because then there's time to forget, to change your mind for the, you know, sort of top of mind information to get to the back of your mind and, and go away. And I think that is part of the reason why the the voter registration deadlines are so early, because it ends before most people even start really thinking about voting. So we want to make sure that if we're doing something to make sure people go and get out to vote, that we're doing it when the polls are open. Uh, and there's still plenty of time. And if we look at what's actually happening right now, uh, you know, more than three million people have already voted. Young people have already voted and half a million of them live in Texas. So something is working. Now, we don't know if, if it's this kind of stuff, but I do think this is helping. I would love to see an exit poll after the election of young people. Uh, I would like to see what was more effective uh, between AOC on Twitch and Donald Trump threatening to take down TikTok. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think that that made a lot of news and I think it might have made even more news had he actually done it. I think it would have, you know, seeped into the sort of ether of young people that this guy is really not on your side uh, and is coming after you, your platforms and and the way you communicate with your friends. Um, so I, I do think things like that matter. And I'd be kind of curious to hear what Noah thinks about people like Claudia Conway, who's been trending on Twitter multiple times. It was almost like every week for a month she was trending, talking about her mom right up until her mom had to quit, essentially, the White House. But bringing that information uh, in a different way to a different audience on a different type of platform, and I'm wondering what kind of effect that is having on young people. So don't have an answer there, but I, I would be interested to see in some kind of exit polling what is what is driving and what is behind the uh, exponential growth of uh, youth turnout this election? Hmm. And Noah, you know, I wanted to ask you this question. Is it at all surprising to you that the Republican Party isn't really pursuing the gamer vote uh, at all or even um, to the extent that the Democratic Party is, considering that there's this contingency of uh, video game players that are very active online but are also very right wing, whether they be on certain subreddits or certain parts of the Internet like 4chan? Yeah, so there's, there's a couple of points also on, on the last comment. So we, there's actually case studies and, and examples of times when it has been effective and when the Democrats have been able to turn out voters. I reported on this in my story. Um, uh, 
Congress member Harder in, in Northern California was able to triple the youth vote in his election. He was 32 years old when he was elected. He brought it up, I got the figures in front of me, from 15, about 15,000 to 47,000 from the last uh, congressional midterm election to his. So um, when I asked him about this, about how was he effective in doing it, so he looked at Snapchat. So for him, it was Snapchat, it was other forms of social media, and it was again trying to talk with an authentic message that resonated, not the scripted sort of like usual suspects way of, of conducting campaigns. Number one. Number two, I think that the answer to this question also lies in the candidates themselves. So, you know, you could look at uh, President Obama's campaigns and say, oh, he was a, you know, this mastery of technology and social media and this, and that's all true, right? And there were great innovations there. But at the end of the day, it was him. People came out, they wanted to support him. And so I think that, you know, looking at the message, looking at the candidate, you know, it's something where you know, say in Hollywood, content is king. So you can dress it up, you can put it on OTT, you can put it on your phone, you can do this, you can do the, the, the apps. And the, but at the end of the day, it comes down to the storyline. And it comes down, I think, I would argue, to the candidates themselves. So um, I just wanted to add that. And then as far as from the Republican side, um, so a couple things. One, they are pursuing it. So the young Republicans, um, the, what was explained to me, or at least what their argument was, is that basically... They're doing it, but they're doing it in a more grassroots way. I don't know that they have anybody that would be able to do something with AOC, you know, similar to what AOC just did. It's a different tactics that would be required as a result of that. Um, but they do feel that they're that, that they can be competitive there for a few reasons. Uh, certainly, in certain subgenres, subcommunities of of gaming, of you know, the three D printing community, the cryptocurrency community, that's a more libertarian friendly mainstream ideas that are accepted there. Um, and more common. And then as far as, am I surprised about it, you know, that they're not doing this? Not really, because as was alluded to, I I think somebody mentioned here, Pew did uh, a study that said that actually the most democratic supporting generation are millennials at 59%. So given that, unless you want to really target and get into the weeds with these sorts of things, I'm not sure that it necessarily behooves them to target these specific communities if that's the case. If they're targeting, you know, a group where 59% of folks don't support them, then you're sort of into this this ball game of trying to convince people, which is not really doesn't really seem to be what this election is about. Uh, nor does it seem to be what Trump, President Trump, was trying to do in the last election, in terms of trying to convince people. It seemed to just be about going to the base, hitting the base hard, giving them red meat, and and getting the core to turn out, and it it worked for him last time, and it appears that's what's going on this time as well. Seven in ten voters in 2000 were part of the Boomer generation. Um, while that has started to fall uh, quite precipitously, uh, now boomers, they, they're still technically the largest voting bloc at 28% of uh, the potential electorate, while millennials account for 27%. And Gen Z is the smallest at 1 in 10, but that is, you know, 10% of the voting population. But combined millennials and Gen Z, you're at uh, 37%. So they do make up the largest potential voting bloc. And of course, Joe, you alluded to this earlier, the most difficult thing, Bernie Sanders even ran into this during the primaries, was it's just so difficult to get young young people out to vote, meeting them where they are, where the average gamer is, you know, in their early 30s, meeting them on Twitch, meeting them in video games. You know, I I don't know, it it hasn't really maybe worked in the past so much, but do you think that shift is happening in 2020 now, Joe? We are seeing it. And as Noah pointed out, as far back as 2008, Obama was in in gaming and and trying to find those audiences and, and really inspire them in any way. And I think that that is one of the differences with Democrats and with young people is, it, you know, everything is changing and people 
don't necessarily just look for that label that they can go with. Everybody is about a la carte. Everything is about convenience. People don't want to tie their self and identity to a large group anymore. And, and so I think that is a difficulty of the Democratic Party. Everybody wants to have their own opinion and their own way of doing things. So it's going to be very difficult to fit all of that diversity under one banner. And I think that's always been a problem for the Democrats, um, as opposed to the Republican Party. Uh, just look at the latest 2018 class of Congress, the new members on the Democratic side, young, uh, diverse in color and age and gender, and just not the case with the Republicans. And so as the country becomes more diverse, I think uh, we've got to be, as Democrats, of course, uh, more you know creative in how we find audiences and then how we make the connection to both our platform and how it affects people in their daily lives and also the action of civic participation and actually making that connection as this is what you believe, this is what we believe, and then this is how we get it done. And I do think that that is, that's the trick. That's the hard part. And if we ever figure that out, we, we'd be in a, in a pretty good shape for at least a generation, I think. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we're looking at, I was I was reading a report over in Florida where, you know, while Democrats had had this early surge in early voting, it seems that a lot of that is being kind of slowly chipped away at by large uh, Republican voter turnout, uh, kind of mid into the early voting cycle, uh, it's you know cutting into that, especially the the mail in total. So, I guess yeah, like each party is having their own kind of powwows and trying to figure out how to allocate their money effectively. And I think what's because the Biden campaign they do have a lot more money than the Trump campaign. Uh, they're essentially trying to build a coalition similar to that of the Obama campaign back in 2008, uh, which was a massive coalition, and even in 2012, uh, because it seems that that's kind of what the Democrats will need, given our electoral college system, to take back the presidency. Like you just, They just need massive, massive, massive numbers. And with that, thank you so much for jumping on, Noah and Joe. No, thank you. And yeah, it was a great time. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having us. And that was FTW with Ahmad Khan. If you like the show, please rate, subscribe, and share. Full transcripts of the show, as well as links to our Patreon, can be found at ftwamad.com. To follow Noah and all the work he's doing at the Washington Post, you can find him at Vilde Haya on Twitter. That's V-I-L-D-E-H-A-Y-A. To follow Joe and everything that's going on with voting down in Texas, follow him at Joe the Pleb on Twitter. And be sure to subscribe to his podcast, Left in Texas. To follow me and my writing over at the New York Times, the Washington Post, and elsewhere, find me at Imad on Twitter. And Ron Lyons is our audio producer. With that, we'll catch you guys next week.